Hey, welcome to Ask an Angel. Today's episode, we're talking about all different kinds of anxieties, all different forms, and how to cope with it and methods to um, lessen the impact on your life. And here today, we have Alyssa, who is our senior, one of our senior guardian angel leaders. We have me, Talia, who is the other senior guardian angel leader. We have Lola, who is the junior leader. And then we have a special guest today, Elise, and I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Elise Blomquist. I'm a sophomore, and I'm a member of the Guardian Angel Peer Team. And next year, I'm going to be a junior co-leader, which is super awesome. This week, we're going to be talking about anxiety, and we just want to spread awareness about anxiety and some of the common types. Um, And we also just want to put a disclaimer out before we talk about anything else, that we aren't trying to diagnose anyone. But if you think you might have severe anxiety, please uh, go talk to a professional about it. So on today's episode, we are going to talk about anxiety because it is so important, especially for teenagers. Um, And specifically, we're going to talk about social anxiety, OCD, and generalized anxiety. And first off, we want to talk about generalized anxiety disorder because it's probably the most common and and broad term term for anxiety. I think it's also important to acknowledge that... um, Generalized anxiety, there's a difference between being anxious about things and having anxiety. Um, someone with anxiety has like a different in, difference in brain chemistry and function. It's, it's more of a chemical imbalance and feeling anxious is just a normal human emotion. Um, and I think there's a lot of like signs of anxiety. Um, a lot of them are physical, actually, which a lot of people don't know. Yeah, and I mean some of these physical symptoms are like excessive fatigue you know, trouble sleeping, trembling, shaking, sweating, nausea, and it just, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that mental health in general can do that affect your body. It's not just like in your brain, but it is really, there are physical um, effects of anxiety. And also, um, I think people with anxiety, they have higher irritability levels. Um, They can get irritated really quickly, annoyed with people, which gives off a like, front of someone seems mean but I think it's important to like you don't know what someone's going through and you don't know what's happening in their minds and so I think it's important to be kind to people and also with um, generalized anxiety disorder it's really common and it affects more than three million people in the United States per year and I think that is so important um, especially because generalized anxiety can affect people of all different demographics you know it can develop in you know a child it can develop when you're a teenager it can develop when you're an adult and I think that's what makes it so serious and common all right today we're bringing on a special guest to come and talk to us we have Jenny Howe who will be talking to us about uh, generalized anxiety and social anxiety Hi, this is Jenny. Hello, how are you? Really good. It's Friday, so that's a good thing. Yes, Uh uh-huh. Super excited for Friday. So, my name's Talia, and I have the first question for you. Okay. So, my question is just, what is social anxiety? Social anxiety is a really intense fear of humiliation or embarrassment or judgment from other people. How common do you think? Oh, I'm Lola. How common do you think it is? 
social anxiety, I think like in a non-pathological way. So if, if we were to just kind of frame it as like everybody feels it, I would say it's incredibly common. If we're talking about it from a disordered level, I would say, say it's still probably pretty common, um, but less common than one might think. You know, we all have like nerves going into social situations. Everybody feels nervous dating. Everybody feels nervous texting. Everybody feels nervous, you know, like walking into a situation all alone. Those things are all really common. But if those fears stop you from going to any of those things or doing any of those things, that's when it becomes a disorder or a problem. Got it. Perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I just so do you think like the main like difference between feeling anxious versus like having social anxiety is like it, when it interrupts with like day to day activities? You nailed it. Yeah, that's exactly what it says in our diagnostic manual. When it interrupts with your day to day life and causes you to stop doing things that you you know generally would do or value doing. Um. Do you think that? Or in what ways do you think social anxiety has gotten worse with COVID? Oh, gosh, I've definitely seen an increase for sure. So one of the problems is just like exercising or like weightlifting or even riding a bike, you have to continue to practice that skill, right, in order to maintain a level of like a threshold of feeling like, okay, yeah, I got this, you know, like your muscles eventually weaken. And so what COVID did to everybody is kind of like set us up to have these really weak muscles and then put us back into the world. And for people that maybe had like a proclivity or maybe a genetic predisposition to feeling socially anxious, it just was like fuel on a fire, right? So it didn't necessarily create social anxiety, but what I have seen it do is um, really exemplify it or exaggerate it in people that were predisposed. Yeah, that was a really good explanation of that. Thank you, yeah. You're welcome. Hi, this is Elise. Hi there. So I've heard this term fight or flight mode thrown around when, like, talking about anxiety. What exactly does that mean? Oh, gosh, you were talking about my favorite subject, so I could give you, like, an entire neuroscience discourse for the next two hours, but what I'll do is just really um, condense it. So fight or flight is basically the arousal system in our body. It's called the nervous system. And there's two parts to our nervous system, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. And one of those is responsible for arousing us, like alerting us to danger. And the other one is responsible for calming us down. So you know how like when you do yoga or something like that, they're always like breathe deeply. There's some science to that. That's to actually activate the nervous system and, and calm us down. So the other part of that, the fight or flight piece of it, is the part of our nervous system that protects us. And if we think about our nervous system, right, it's in every single cell of our body. Like our nervous system runs the ship here. And so when we are perceiving something as dangerous or threatening, our body only responds to that nervous system, that fight or flight response. So it either kicks into like fight mode, aggression, irritation mode, or it kicks into flee or avoidance. And there's actually a third component called freeze where you paralyze. I don't know if you guys have ever seen like a dog or a puppy submit to their owner. They just kind of freeze when they think they're in trouble. That's something that we do as well. That happens a lot with tests, for example. We just kind of freeze. Um, so the nervous system is a huge part. It plays, it's like the driver of our ship. Um, and it plays a huge role in how we respond to everything in our environment. So in these like anxiety inducing 
scenarios, like how do we avoid going into fight or flight mode? You can't. You will. So it's getting comfortable with the idea that your body is going to be in that mode, right? So understanding what takes you there, understanding your triggers, and then telling yourself, okay, this is temporary. Like this is not a real threat. We want to keep that part of our body working properly because if some dude is chasing you with a knife, right, you want to go into fight or flight. You want that to happen in your body. So we have to make sure that we still actually use that part of our body. We just have to help teach ourselves when it's actually helpful and when it's unhelpful. But there's no way to stop it from going into fight or flight. We just get used to it and we can retrain the brain to kind of um, cognitively understand that differently. That was perfect. Thank you. Our last mm-hmm. question for you is, what are your top three coping mechanisms for anxiety? Because I know there's a lot of them, but what are your top three that you like to use? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. My first one is exposure. So I want you to do the things you're afraid of. I don't want you to avoid them or necessarily even cope with them. I want you to just try them, right? The more we strength train in the gym, the stronger our muscles go. And at first it really sucks. Like we can't walk around the next day. But after a while, we get used to it. And when we gradually expose ourselves to the things that we're uncomfortable with or anxious about, we develop a tolerance for them. That's just science. So that's the first thing we can do to help ourselves. Um, the second thing is really pay attention to the things that you avoid. So if you are like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to do that or that makes me uncomfortable, and you start to kind of pull away from things that make you uncomfortable, I want you to cognitively challenge yourself and say like, man, you know, am I avoiding this because fear is driving my ship or am I avoiding this because it's something that doesn't match my values? Mm-hmm. Um, so I know those aren't traditional coping mechanisms, but those are my two favorite. And then the third one, I would say there is a really great um, breathing skill that I just learned that's a little bit different than what we're normally taught. And I've been practicing it myself and I have found it to be helpful, but it does take some practice. And the best way um, that where, where most of us have heard of it is it's kind of like Lamaze breathing, which I didn't do any of that when I was pregnant, but it's in through your nose really quick, two breaths, and then a very audible exhale out. So it's, and then you can do that up to 10 or 15 times in a row. It's going to make you a little lightheaded if you continue to do it after that. But what that does is send a signal to that part of our nervous system that is supposed to de-escalate us, and it kind of overrides everything. So taking a deep breath, which is what people always say, right, like take a deep breath, that actually arouses you, that actually activates the wrong side of that nervous system. So you don't want to take a deep breath. What you want to do is take two short, shallow breaths and a long exhale, and that activates the right side of your nervous system. Yeah, I didn't know that. No, wow. <laughs> I know, I know. It's I actually just learned that specific technique recently in a podcast I was listening to. So <laughs> interesting. Okay, so I now we just want to ask you where you're located um, for our listeners to just know. Sure, I'm located in Utah, just north of Salt Lake City, Utah. I have an office there, but I most of my work is done online. I've been meeting with people online like way before it was cool in COVID (laughs) where I did my business before so it just kind of worked for me COVID was like not a problem for me so I have clients all over the world but um, really all all over the country and so it's a really cool way to be able to connect with people and get therapy even though it's 
you know, online, I have found it to be even more effective sometimes than in my office. So I'm in Utah, but I'm kind of everywhere. I came to one of your presentations of the movie Angst once, and I thought it was like super interesting. Um, Where can our listeners find that movie like for themselves to watch? Yes, I wish that it was online. I do not. I own only 5% of that film, so I don't get any voice in making any kind of decision with it. So it's not free online. But if you go to angstmovie.com, they have a whole section there where you can um, email them and they'll tell you like your options. I think there's even like a pay-per-view option or something if you get a group of people. Um, So there's a way to do it. It's just not like on YouTube or Netflix or anything like that, which I wish it was. Okay, thank you. Uh, Sorry. You're welcome. Uh, Do you mind telling us what your movie Angst is about? Sure. Angst is about, it's a documentary um, with voices from youth. So it's all teenagers, which I think is so awesome. And a a little bit of little kids that are super cute in it as well. But um, it's teenagers speaking about how anxiety relates to them and how it's impacted them in their life. And my role in the film is to kind of provide the narration, but also give like a consistent set of understanding and strategies throughout the whole film. So I'm the narrator expert in the film. Um, But there are a few other experts as well that do a fantastic job. But at the end of the day, it's just like a big group therapy documentary where you're kind of hearing other people who are talking about anxiety and can relate to you and your experience, hopefully. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for answering our questions today. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for being flexible with me, you guys. I appreciate that. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Have a good weekend. Do something great. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye. Another common type of anxiety is OCD, which stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. And I think this is really important to talk about. Um, because there's a lot of different forms of it, and I think people, it's often misunderstood as a certain thing, and I think people just look at it like that, but there's actually a lot of different types of it, and people struggle with uh, various different things that aren't always recognizable. And, yeah, one of the types of OCD is, like, checking things. Like, it can be, um, like, checking locks, alarms, ovens, light switches, or, like, anything else like that. I think checking also has to do, like, not only in terms of physical things, but also a mental type of checking. So I think also with, like, um, intrusive thoughts, that's something we'll talk about later, but checking those thoughts, and that can relate to social media or issues with friends. Or even, like, sometimes thinking you have a medical condition, um, like checking, just obsessively checking or obsessively going to a doctor because you of an intrusive thought and you just keep checking that intrusive thought contamination is also a very prevalent form of ocd and it's described as a fear of things that might be dirty or a compulsion to clean i think also that's like very common it's represented in a lot of media as people think of is the only type of ocd um it also definitely goes hand in hand with the symmetrical type of ocd which a lot of therapists call just right ocd Um, which is kind of this need to have things lined up a certain way. It's more prevalent when you're stressed, I think, and it's just very much like organization and ordering. And I think in the media, um, symmetry OCD comes up a lot, and just having to have that organization, and um, I think that just comes up because it's the easiest type to portray in the media. 
So, but just remember that there are multiple types of OCD, and that one's not the only type. And again, I think with the media, there's a lot of emphasis on characters in shows who have who describe themselves as having OCD, which it's it's like a they have they feel a compelling need to clean something, like Monica Geller's one. But I think a less talked about form of OCD is ruminations and intrusive thoughts. And that's like an obsession with a line of thought. And some of these thoughts can be violent or disturbing. And this will interrupt your whole day. And you can go on for hours or days consistently thinking about this thought. And I think um, well, a con- everyone gets intrusive thoughts. And I think that's a normal thing. But people with OCD, the difference between that is people with OCD can't let the thought go. They have to just, they keep thinking about it for days on end. It can go on for days, weeks, a very long time, just thinking about a certain thought. And a lot of the time it's very disturbing or violent. And that's that's sort of the difference between someone normal getting OCD or <laughs> getting, getting um, an intrusive thought because they can sort of let it go and distinguish it as kind of a thought distortion. But people with OCD can't distinguish that as well. And I also think with, like, it, it lasting for multiple days, the super hard part about that is it, it will disrus- disrupt your days. And you can't do a lot of day-to-day activities because you're so hyper-focused on this thought. And it, it really does take a, a huge mental toll on you because it, it, makes you, it can make you feel like a bad person. Or it just, again, they're really disturbing. OCD is something that's very prevalent in both uh, mine and Talia's lives because we both have been diagnosed with it and we both have different forms of it, but this is why we're so comfortable talking about it is because we have a lot of experience. I think also, like, it's important for us to talk about it because I think that so many people are, will say, like, I have OCD, I have OCD, and... There's just an idea of it created by, you know, the media and everyone's mm-hmm. everyone's idea of it is mm-hmm. just, you know, cleaning or something. And it's not always viewed as super negative. Yeah. And I think that with Lola and I's OCD, it's a little bit more uncommon. And that's why I think it's so important for us to talk about it. Yeah. It's very, like, it's disruptive in a lot of people's lives, and people treat it as, like, something that just keeps you organized, and I think that's why discussion needs to happen. So, I'm going to be asking Talia and Lola a few questions about it. Um, So, Lola, what type of OCD do you experience? Um, I think I experience a a lot of it, (laughs) to be honest. Um, Checking, definitely. Mine is more with, um, like, doors and locks. I have to check those every night to make sure I'm, like, safe. Um, And contamination, also a little bit. Just, I don't know why, um, because I'm not, like, a super germaphobe. But just thinking about certain things, just, like, dirty things, just gives me a lot of anxiety. Um, Intrusive thoughts, definitely, like, with the rumination, like we talked about, where it just doesn't get out of my head. And then... 100% the just right OCD like things can't be crooked things have to be just in line it happens a lot more when I'm stressed when I have big tests coming up or stuff is going on in my life that's having an impact on me mentally um, is when it's the most prevalent but yeah I think it's always a little bit underlying just in the way that I see the world and then Talia what about you 
So with me, it's more of a combination between checking and ruminations and intrusive thoughts. So I think the root of mine and the worst is the intrusive thoughts. And for mine, it's it's the idea that I am I said something mean to someone or did something to make someone else feel hurt. And it happens in lots of forms, like I think one on one, like socially when I'm talking to someone, um, you know, I think I'll talk to someone, have a great time, go home and just think about the whole day yeah overthink overanalyze everything and get this impression that like they hate me and (laughs) and that that really really affects my life and then with checking I'll go back and like mentally check I'll try to like rethink the whole conversation like make sure I didn't do anything or you know like verbally I'll I'll ask them like are you mad at me like did did I do something and it's really toxic because it really has me overthinking myself and me as a person yeah definitely yeah thank you so much you guys we really appreciate um the insight on all this and to know that like it's not all the same and even if you have like the same like category of ocd that it definitely comes in different forms for every individual yeah and i think one last um one last thing to mention is that um there's a lot of a lot of ocd is very mental um where people can't always see it and you never really know what people are struggling with. Like there's obvious compulsions in certain types of it, like fixing things, ordering things, straightening things out. But it's not always very prevalent when it's more of the rumination, intrusive thought type thing. So I think just being careful with words and careful with how you, um, how you use the phrase OCD is really important. Something that we were emailed about was trichotillomania. And this is something that stems from anxiety, or it could be classified as an impulse disorder, or it could be classified under OCD even. There's a lot of different sources about it, but um, it's pretty much pulling of, like, hair, and it could be, like, hair on your head, hair on your eyelashes, eyebrows. Um, But, yeah, it's something that a lot of people uh, go through, and it's definitely... Um, something that needs to be more discussed about because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about it. And because it's an impulse control issue, a lot of the time people don't really know that they're doing it. Um, well, they can, but also it's like a very, just a natural thing that happens. And so it's, especially when they're stressed. And so I think it's, it's okay to talk about these things and normalize them a little more. Cause I think a lot of the time, um, illnesses like mental illnesses are just scary to bring up especially when they're um more unknown so i think talking about them is good yeah and additionally um dermatillomania is also related and it's the picking at the skin so i think that one is also um unspoken about but is really common yeah and building off of what lola said i think it's something that these people like don't want to do this and so I think that other people like making fun of it or anything um, doesn't help because they they know that they're aware that this is happening, but they also don't want to do it. So I think just like normalizing that and like understanding that it's something that a lot of people are going through and being more educated on the topic is something that's really important. And the person that reached out to us about this actually gave us some really cool organizations and really to- cool ways that um, it's sort of treated or at least researched a little more about. Um, the example she gave was Trickstop, T-R-I-C-H-S-T-O-P, and it specialized in the disorder. 
But it is really hard to find help and treatment from your regular doctor because it's kind of an unresearched and untalked about thing. Um, but also, there was a really good YouTube channel um, called Megan Prosser that clears up a lot of common misconceptions and is just very like um, informational about the topic in general. And something that um, Megan was talking about on her YouTube channel was that something that she uses to deal with this is she wears like really long headbands to like as like a mental note that like if she touches up in her hair, then she's like, oh, like there's a headband there. I shouldn't be pulling my hair. Um, but yeah, just like little tricks like that. And with the trick stop thing that Lola was saying um, was mentioning, it's pretty much like an app that like tracks like when you pull your hair, like um, how like what what was happening before, just like things like that. So another really common type of anxiety is social anxiety, which is which is a little more talked about, I would say. But um, it's still very prominent, especially in teenagers. It's just like this fear of being watched or judged by others in social settings. It can really affect most of your life, like work, school, other daily activities. It can make it hard to like make and keep friends. Um, and it's sort of just like the symptoms of anxiety um, in situations where they may be scrutinized or like judged by others. Like, I would say probably speaking in public is a very prominent one, meeting new people, dating, being in a job interview, answering questions in class, or, like, having to talk to people on the phone or in, like, a cashier in the store, um, just, like, everyday things. Yeah, and I feel like um, also that um, people who have social anxiety in social settings feel like they like don't have control of themselves and their fear and I think it's so important because it can lead people to completely overthinking themselves as a person um and changing their personality to fit the person they're with and just it it definitely leads to a spiral of emotions I think something else that um has really affected social anxiety in our world today is covid and people are, like, not talking to people as much because of quarantine and stuff like that. And I think that um, that's created a lot of social anxiety in our world today. Yeah, because people don't really know how to interact in person anymore um, after quarantine. So it is a little bit, like, sad. <laughs> and I think also, not just with, I mean, this is really random, kind of, but... Um, not just with social anxiety, but um, I was watching a show on Netflix a while ago called Alexa and Katie. I love it! It's so good. And Katie has really bad anxiety. And at one point she had a panic attack. And I felt like that was really real and one of the best representations I've seen yeah. of a panic attack. And I really think... I can relate to that character. I think a lot of people can relate to that character and feel seen and heard. Okay, so for our teacher shout-out this episode, we are thanking Miss Will because she really prioritizes her students' mental health and she's very supportive um, to all of her students and her people that aren't her students. She's really just there for um, the teenagers in school and she understands the pressures of a student's life being an alumni of St. Francis and she really just is really okay with um, people dealing with things. If there's an issue you're struggling with or there's something you'd like more information about, 
Email us at GAPT at stfrancishs.org so we can answer your questions in future episodes. Also, don't forget to rate and subscribe to the Ask an Angel podcast and other podcasts on the St. Francis Student Podcast Network.